Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. What's going on, everybody? The markets are exploding. It's true. I'm going to dive straight into this. And as someone that is looking to expand or start, this can be a time that is scary, a time that is exciting, if you look at it in one way. Um, But it can be more than anything, a time that is confusing. And so if you're starting out, should you be doing it? What are the pros? What are the cons? What are the risks associated with what's going on today? Should you be all in cash? Should you be getting into the stock market? Should you be investing in real estate? Should you be running for the hills? These are all things that I think most people are thinking about. And if you're not, um, I want to know why. Uh, Because it's something that we think about. It's something that everybody should think about. And the idea is that you're always thinking through these things, right? So that you are always looking at the current situation, analyzing information, analyzing risk returns as the situation changes. Because um, right now, and times like this, the, one of the biggest things is situations are fluid. So when you have uh, points like we are seeing... Uh, in the market today, everyone can't really understand what the future holds, and people are having a really hard time valuing assets. So you see changes and ups and downs, and you see stock markets go down as people are trying to get a feel for, all right, the future that we expected six months ago is no longer going to be what it was. So what does that mean? And is it less? And if it is, how much less? So people may be looking for bottoms. People may be choosing not to invest. People may be shorting. People may be not able to just afford things like you see in the housing market. People, even if they wanted to, banks are tightening up. And at the end of the day, that's what's happening. It's tightening. We're having monetary tightening. Monetary tightening is occurring because the federal, uh, the Fed is lifting interest rates to try to get money out of the economy. They are shrinking the money supply. So why are they doing it? Because they expanded the money supply to a rate that was ridiculous and unnecessary. And their excuse and their fear led by COVID got away with them and the uh the printing was unnecessary people say it wasn't unnecessary well if it wasn't unnecessary then we wouldn't have inflation that is why we didn't have inflation in 2008 everybody why because the debt had defaulted and debt is money so when you have defaults the money supply was going down because debt is money. So the government did bailouts and they injected billions into the economy, but we didn't have inflation because they were filling a hole. So the money supply was contracting. They were trying to stop the money supply from contracting. So they threw money into it to stabilize it. 
COVID, they weren't doing that. COVID, the money supply was not contracting. It was expanding. And you say, AJ, how was the money supply expanding? The money supply was expanding because as people take out debt, as they use their money, money compounds, right? People think that the economy or spending is a straight line thing. I take a dollar, I get a dollar. That's not how it works. So every action has a multiple. Hence the reason why contractions are so big because it's a multiple, right? So each dollar, each loan is either loaned again or it is spent again, right? So one man's liability is another man's asset. And this is how the economy works. And so the, uh, the economy goes through exaggerated times, especially at the top and at the bottom. You see a quick spike and it's a fuse out of excess cash that went in as that cash quickly expands. And then from there, they weren't filling in a hole. The money supply was not contracting. It was expanding. They increased the money supply by the most ever in the U.S. history. And that created an absolute furnace that could not be stopped. Now, I'm going to say this again because I've said it a ridiculous amounts of time. Everyone that has listened to my podcast over the last two years knew this was happening. They knew we were going to have inflation, right? Because I've been talking about it nonstop. Even when I had to stand up to people on panels, things like that, that told me that there was no inflation in sight, and that the inflation that we saw was simply transitory. My favorite word. And I got so much crap for this. Um, I thought it was ridiculous narrative. I don't understand why people were saying it. It was never transitory. And people say it's because of the supply chains. Okay, do you know how we know it's not because of the supply chains? Because if it had to do with the supply chains, you wouldn't rise interest rates because interest rates actually shut down supply chains. How does that make any sense? Why would interest rates cause supply chains to have more problems? Because supply chains are built by companies. In order to improve supply chains, you have to improve capacity that supply chains can hold. By increasing rates, you are stopping those infrastructure, industrial infrastructures from having capital to reinvest to expand the supply chains. We can't buy more trucks. We can't buy more boats, right? We can't have more people employed at the ports. We can't buy more shipping containers. All of that stops because the cost of capital is so high, companies can't reinvest. So rising interest rates actually exaggerates supply chain problems. Well, if there's supply chain problems, why is the Fed doing that? Exactly, because it's not a supply chain problem. That's not what's going on. And they, people say, but we've seen it and I hear about it. And I, yes, the supply chains couldn't handle the demand. Why? The demand was so astronomical because they put in 40% of the, of, uh, the capital ever put. So we were, we were using supply chains in a way that was not, co uh, uh, was not correlated with the real economy. What does that mean? That means that in normal times of recessions or big problems, meaning people stop working, unemployment starts rising, 
supply chains can take on the capacity even if they can't sustain themselves because there is a correlating slowdown in demand, right? So, all right, unemployment's going on, markets are hard, we're having issues with all these different things, but the economy is slowing down anyway, so demand is slowing down so we can get through it. Now, COVID was the opposite. The customer didn't slow down, even though the economy was shrinking. So the economy was starting to take a nosedive, but the U.S. consumers did not. Why? Because they had all the money in the world. They were guaranteed incomes. And before anybody says that's just not what happened, go look at all the data and reports. During COVID, Americans' savings accounts were exploding. On average, an American was being paid more. Why? Because they were getting tax cuts, they were getting checks sent to them, and the employer was being paid to keep them employed. So you shut down the economy, but you don't shut down the U.S. consumer. Why in the world would anyone blame a supply chain problem? Of course there's going to be problems, but it's not because of the supply chain, right? It's because you are hurting the economy, right? You're hurting infrastructure while you are not only helping, but you're improving the utilizer. That's going to strain things. This isn't rocket scientist. Rocket scientist. It's not rocket science. And I'm not a rocket scientist, obviously. But it's very simple. And I think people get confused listening to the media and listening to what people say. And people just started regurgitating these, these things. Like, once again, this is transitory. And what happens is then people have artificial confidence. So then investors are like, oh, it's just supply chain issues. There's no problems here. That means that all of these prices are completely healthy and normal. And there won't be an inflation. There won't be a pullback. So I'm just going to keep on investing. And I have to invest. Why? Because these air quotation supply problems are actually eroding away my purchasing value. So my money has to get to work and I got to put it into assets because I don't want to lose value of my money. So assets start to bubble. Now, as those assets started to bubble in the stock market and real estate, it became very clear it was unsustainable. Yields were dropping while prices were rising. And they were rising not due to fundamentals, meaning the individual businesses, the individual assets, revenues were not increasing. Their fundamentals weren't increasing. They weren't more safe. Their rise in price was due to money chasing it. So you can imagine that when the money goes away, that there's an opposite swing that recorrects and goes the other way. And then you have like what you had in 2008. Then fundamentals, and I'm not saying this time's like 2008. I'm going to get into that. But then the fundamentals aren't correlated with the price again, but on the other side, on the downside. And this is why if you are getting started or trying to grow your business or investing strategy, now is the time to start. So we are now entering into a period that is going to probably be the best six months that we have seen in a long time since the very short COVID moment, which was only like three months, um, and then over, was overdone. 
But you're probably going to run into the next six to honestly a year, maybe even a little more, um, that will be uh, buying opportunities. And now, this is this is hard. This is hard for everyone because buy, you have buying opportunities. The reason you do is because people stop buying. And um, we are creatures that are very much influenced on herd mentality, right? It is very deep embedded into us. And when risk isn't easily identifiable, that creates fear. And when future is unknown, that creates fear. Now, I, though, think that the future was actually very well known. Um, It uh, was easy to see what was going to occur uh, and what the government would have to do. But um, that wasn't the perception. And perception in markets is reality to some extent, meaning the short-term pricing of assets. So the perception was that things were going to keep going so that everybody was happy. And investors felt comforted by this, so they invested. The problem with that is our emotions deceive us. And right now, I actually think the future is a lot more well-known. So the future, when people thought was well-known, was not. The reason being is um, they expected things to go up but they didn't really have a lot of justification for that. And that was a hope and a dream. Wherein now, we actually have very clear guidance on what's going on, right? It's not complicated. The Fed is going to raise rates, continue raising rates, and they are going to try to get rid of all the excess money that they put into the economy. Um, And that, in turn, is going to hurt markets. It's going to shrink monetary supply. The economy will contract. We will have unemployment rise. Um, Yields will start dropping with prices. Now, as that happens, it will get to a point where the Fed has slowed the economy down enough to where it can start easing. At that point, they will try to stabilize the markets and the downfall of the markets by pivoting and adjusting their situation, meaning they will ease monetary supply through lowering of rates, supporting markets instead of actively hurting markets. Um, And at that point, they're going to try to catch a falling knife from falling anymore. They're going to try to stop it, and then they'll stabilize it. And then from there, they will work on making sure there's a healthy return to normal. Uh, what that means is uh, we, we understand what will happen, but we don't understand the full length to which it will take. That's the, the part that's unknown, but the actions aren't. The roadmap is very clear, right? Um, and this roadmap, though, everybody says, but we don't know how far it will go. And this is one of the problems that we have to address, especially for investors the first time. You're not 
timing bottoms and you're not timing tops. That's ridiculous. Nobody can do it. Um, You can know the outlook and understand what needs to happen, but you can't know the extent or anything else, right? It was very easy to know that upon increasing money supply that much and upon inflation, I know what the system has to do. Now, do I know the outcome? No, I don't. Nobody does. I didn't know 2008 was coming. We didn't know about COVID and uh, the extent at which interest rates will rise or have risen um, is unknown. But we did know that they would have to, right? They knew they were going to have to increase rates. They knew that they were going to have to do that. Uh, it's They always do it. This is not something that has never been done before. So the question then becomes, uh, what is the extent? So where will interest rates go? How will that affect? How much pain will we be in? Um, and that, to that extent, right, is a problem because asset pain and Main Street pain is not the same thing. And we have seen that recently. So we've seen in the asset markets severe drops. Um, we're in bear market territory now. And you say, well, how far will it go down? That's a pretty easy answer. Uh, from one standpoint, and that is that they will go down until they stop inflation. And uh, now, when, once again, we don't know, right? Um, But I can tell you uh, this much, an easy indicator on when that looks like that might happen is when Main Street loses their ability to drive inflation, meaning the aggregate demand starts dropping, And when you are at unemployment levels, like we are currently at, you still have people with savings in their accounts. You still have income, so people are still buying and chasing goods and services. Inflation's not going to stop. They announced as of today, I think it was, that, um, let me see here. Today they announced that... Yes, uh, unemployment hadn't really budged and the market fell 500 points because Main Street Street is not hurting yet. Now, the things they don't say on television and the things they don't want to say because everything is so damn political nowadays, it drives me nuts, but um, that they're going to make unemployment. They have to. You have to stop demand through the consumers to affect inflation. And the consumers, if they have money, are going to consume. So they're going to hurt markets to a point where they start laying off employees. Unemployment will rise, and they hope that this will, in turn, slow down inflation. The Fed was way too slow to act. And what they wanted to avoid was the Paul Volcker situation. But their slowness to act and their over-exuberance during the COVID years um, has led to uh, this point. And it has mean that we're going to be in more pain than we should be because they didn't stop the party. In fact, not only did they not start stop the party, they kept bringing punch to the party. 
and uh, now it will exaggerate the other way. So once you start seeing Main Street hurting, meaning consumers stop spending, they start losing their jobs, the demand for services and products start dropping, and you have a recorrection, and then all of a sudden inflation starts to get affected. You have less use of energy, you have less buying of cars, and the supply chains can all catch back up, and you can get surpluses in actual core goods and services and metals and things that all the manufacturers need, and you can get wages cheaper, and you can get all those things. That's all things that have to happen now to get inflation down. It's important to know they didn't need to get to this point. And I think that anybody that says um, that they had to do it is giving them a pass. And you should not do that. Uh, They did not need to print trillions of dollars during COVID. Now, sending people checks, they could have done that and it wouldn't have affected inflation. But the trillions of dollars that were spent and lawmakers tried to get everything in there into billions to political people and everybody else, it was a heyday and a money grab of greed. And it never needed to happen. Now, the tax write-offs, everything else, this is all now coming to a point where the middle class will get hurt. So... Um, it's frustrating, but what does it mean? It's not controllable. You don't have a choice in it, right? And the American people don't seem to care as long in the short term as they get benefits. And in America, we do not focus on anything outside the next, you know, week or quarter. And, uh, our policy makers reflect that as well as the banks, the stock markets, all obsessed with quarterly returns. And we can all take advantage of that because the the uh, individuals listening to this, my followers and the people that listen to my podcast, we play long-term games and we take advantage of short-term insanity. And markets, although they are fairly efficient in the long run, are extraordinarily inefficient in the short run. So we need to do this while keeping our head on our shoulders and not getting ourselves into trouble. The advantages and disadvantages of getting started today. The advantages are there's less capital in the markets, less deals are being chased after. That means that you have uh, less competition so you can get better deals. Now, when you look at, um, uh, I, I, I always think of the market from the buyer, the buy stamp standpoint. So you as someone that wants to get started, wants to find deals, wants to buy deals. When you look at it, your position is very much set up like a like one of those Roman scales, right? It's just got two sides and it goes up and down. When the buy side are deals, when deals get really expensive and they don't look like deals anymore, 
the other side of that, that so when deals go down, meaning they're not good deals, the other side that is rising is the execution. Now, when deals become deals and they that side starts to rise and they get to the point where you actually want to buy them and they're less expensive and now the buyer is getting good opportunities, the other side goes down and execution goes down. So execution and deals are always at odds with each other in the market. Why? Because if it's easily executable, there isn't abundance of deals. And if there's an abundance of, uh, and if you have really hard to execute, there's an abundant, uh, there's an abundance of deals, supply and demand. So if it's really hard to execute, less people can execute it. That means sellers are not in power and buyers are because you're the only one at the table or you and a few other people and nobody's going to overspend. They don't need to. They're not competing as much. So they can dictate terms and prices. Well, we're seeing that today. Deals are falling out of contracts like crazy. Buyers are pulling back. And even if they can, they just say no. They think deals are going to get better and they're renegotiating with sellers and sellers are starting to get burned. While this happens, interest rates are rising. So banks are being more particular. They're not giving money to everyone. Investors are starting to pull back. So it's harder to raise money. Execution is becoming harder. This is the ever, ever going problem for somebody wanting to get started. They want deals, but they also want easy execution. That's a world that doesn't exist. Don't lie to yourself that it does. So right now, we're seeing better deals than I've ever seen. We're seeing owner financing kick in. But you have to be creative, right? I now have to do things like I have to go out and meet with sellers. I have to do owner financing. The broker's just not going to bring me the deal, and the bank's just not going to write a check. Now, in my eyes, it's way better to get a great deal and have a harder time getting it than it is to be able to easily get the deal um, but overpay. So this time right now is an amazing time for anyone wanting to get started in entrepreneurship or investing. Um, some of the biggest and most resilient businesses ever built and in existence today were built out of recessions for this very reason. You get an opportunity to get good buys as well as an opportunity to then execute when there's less people. And because it's harder, you develop better skills. You become more resilient. And as things get easier, you expand. This is exactly what happened to us after the Great Recession. We were in storage. We survived the recession. And then it was really hard to execute, but we figured out ways. And we started executing when nobody else would. We were one of, the, I think they said we were the first CMBS loan in the entire Northwest. And so we were out there when nobody else was. When we were talking to sellers, we were the only buyers even talking to them. Now, that made it really, really hard to get deals. And so we had to develop processes and systems, and I had to figure out how to find deals. Now, it's counterintuitive. People think, oh, in 2008, there were deals everywhere. 
That's actually not true at all. In fact, there was very, very few deals. Last year, when the economy was booming, there were there were deals all over the place, meaning actual deals were hitting the market, like actual assets to buy. In 2009, there weren't assets hitting the market. And you're like, wait, wait, hold on here. What? Let me explain it to you. So all the deals were locked up in bankruptcies or because they were purchased at a, such a high price and the markets changed so much, you had to buy them to make any sense at a low price. Nobody was going to sell. But in the last two years, when money was easy, everybody wanted to sell. Why? Because they were getting stupid prices. I've never seen so many deals be hit the market and be bought like I did in the last two years. Now, the price may not have been good. When we got started, it was 2009 and 10, there were very, very few assets for sale and for us to look at. And we had to go out and find them. We had to work with the owners. But that is what built us systems that we could execute continually off of. So it's good. It teaches you skills, but it also protects you. How does it protect you? Because you can embed in safety on the acquisition through the price. Over the last year, we saw mass amounts of deals that were being executed and they basically had to go to perfection in order for those deals to work out. Well, when times are hard, you're buying deals that are good enough deals to where things don't have to be perfect. Why? Because they're not. So you're buying them in a way that protects you because you have more margin, you have more cash flow, right? You have a better price tag, you have less risk on the debt side. So you have a healthier, better asset. Now, when times go up and things get better, that means your margins explode and so do values because you bought it right. Therefore, accelerating your journey on the way up. So the effort that you put into when times were bad and you got those good deals may not seem like a great thing when you're buying it and it may have been a lot of work, but on the way up, up you have you have a better deal you have good cash flow and then on the way up that deal just explodes in value and this is the concept this is how you roll cash over this is how you leverage this is how you buy and this is how you compound out and take advantage it takes more work but more deals are coming to the market so right now over the next eight months everybody you need to have your buying hat on we need to have um our eyes open to the market. We need to be ready, right? We need to be looking for opportunities, but you do need to protect yourself from the downside. You need to be more picky. You need to be aware that during these times, sellers will also be nervous about what deals and they may have deals that are failing. So buy right, but you can, and you can buy good deals right now and you're going to be able to get better deals and you can adjust them and offset for the rise in interest rates. So it just takes more work, right? You have to go through more deals. You have to look at more. You have to, you have to work with more investors. But it'll pay massive dividends for the rest of your life if you do it right. And it can put you, this can separate you from the pack. This can separate you in the future. And what you do today can literally create your future. And it allows you to expand off that investment strategy because now you're learning. Now you're, 
you keep going and growing. Um, so be careful when catching a falling knife. Don't do something stupid, right? Make sure that you take advantage of the time, but at the same time, right, um, walk and proceed with caution. You don't need to be in a rush. Why don't you need to be in a rush? Because the sellers don't have tons of opportunities. So you can take it easy and you can make sure it's done right. And that's the most important thing. But you must be active and you must be going out and getting it done. So for all of you out there, you're going to be right alongside me as we go out over the next eight months and we scour. We are doing this through our fund. We're opening an opportunistic fund here in like the next week or two. You guys actually may be the first to even hear about this or know about this. Um, where we're going out and we're doing just like we did in 08, just like the first three months of COVID. And we are finding great deals that have less pressure to buy, are being overlooked as buyers are running away, capital is constrained, and they can't execute. We're lucky because we built a machine during hard times to execute, and we profited during the good times. So now as hard times come, we still have the ability to execute. So we're going to be able to capitalize on bad deals and lots of them. And we're very, very excited to do that with our opportunistic fund. Um, so everybody, you should be doing the same thing. So when you start a fund, and all I mean by starting a fund, right, I, I say that just generally. I'm talking about you starting funds, like you're holding funds, you're getting ready to buy, you're accruing cash, you're talking to friends, family, you're getting investors, you're preparing your investing strategy, and you should be out looking at deals, ready to get something in, under contract, but you have to start getting ready so you can be able to execute. You have to have your execution ready, which, by the way, I am not... Uh, none of that prior was selling a security. We do, uh, of course, we take investors and everything else like that, but that's not a pitch, and we only do it for accredited investors. I think I got to do my CYAs there. But yeah, we, we uh, and you need to make sure you know that, right? So are you working with accredited investors, friends and families? Do you need money? Do you need banks? Figure it all out. Figure out how you're going to execute. Everything we've done, which you can decide what you want to do, how you want to do it. If you're going to raise funds, most people raise it from friends and family. We do 506Bs uh, because I want to be able to talk about it, like on a podcast, because I talk a lot um, and I don't want to get in trouble. So we have to work with just accredited investors, um, which everybody knows how I feel about accredited investors that listens to this. If you don't, go back, I think, two podcasts ago and you can hear about it. I'm fine with accredited investors. I'm just, uh, I don't like as much the government um, dictating who's smart and who's not based upon their own requirements. Um, but those are the games that we have to play because they set the rules and you need to know those rules. So that way, when you get a deal under contract, you're not trying to learn the rules. That's once again, you're getting hit because you're not able to execute. So learn the rules, get ready to play and be prepared. So when you do find that deal, you can actually execute on it and you don't lose out to somebody else that had been prepared and they had the ability to execute. All right, everybody. I hope this was helpful. It's a great topic. We're going to talk more and more. And I want to give you guys a hint into next the next podcast, uh, either the next one coming up or the one after. I am actually going to be, uh, I've been working on this for a while, but I am going to sh uh, walk through and 
show people how they um, can become financially free off like $100,000. And I'm going to do it. So I'm doing it as a big case study. And I'm, I'm going to track the whole way and I'm going to talk about it on the podcast. And we're, we're going to walk through this 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 whole thing. And, and it, maybe it'll be my next one. Um, uh, I think next week or, or the week after. I'm headed to Bigger Pockets. I just got back from speaking at... We had our event in Coeur d'Alene, which was epic, uh, by the way, the self-storage event. Um, it was so amazing. It just absolutely the you know the highlight. It, it was so fun. Everyone that came, it, it was incredible. Then we had, uh, I was in Vegas with Ryan Pineda. We were speaking at his awesome event. Huge, blew it out of the water. It was great. Um, and then I'm going next week to Bigger Pockets. So it's been a crazy three weeks for me. And why is it crazy? Because I'm preparing. So as this is coming up as the funds, we started preparing over the last few months, um, getting ready to do a launch. Well, that meant I had to prepare and started to get ready so we can get exposure, so we could be raising funds, so we can get ready to get deals to come our way, right? So I've been working on this and we hit it into high gear over the last two, three months. And now we're I'm doing the whole thing. I'm getting out, I'm spending time, I'm hitting the road, I'm doing the road shows, I'm you know, sacrificing time and time with my family, because we know that this is an opportunity that doesn't come around very often. And I'm willing to make those those sacrifices to get it done. So I'll be on the road, I'm going to be out um, nonstop over the next eight months. um, And you guys should be too. And we have some great content and concepts coming up for you guys that I think you're going to really, really enjoy. And I think will be really helpful. All right, everybody. With that, thank you so much. Um, exciting stuff coming up, and I'm and I'm really excited to keep you guys involved every single step of the way. Talk soon.